THQ Radio with Alan McGee. Hey, good afternoon. This is a GHQ podcast. I'm Alan McGee. And my guest is the the music. Well, how can he's a musician, but he's more than a musician. The, the 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 really massive character that I first met in Death Disco back in two thousand and four, I think, and he was uh, shooting a lot of Libertine stuff when I was managing Libertines, and uh, he just eventually emerged out of that scene. Was a member of Television Personalities. I played in loads of records with a lot of a lot of big bands, uh, and he's now bouncing around. Uh, Round the world, uh, making records and and touring and stuff. Uh, it's Texas Bob, uh, or Robert Stockholm, or a uh, Texas Bob Jure. So, however you want to call it, and uh, the, the the opening track is going to be Alice in the Magic Theater. Uh, off a it's unreleased at this point, and it's a uh, off Texas Bob's uh, upcoming record. <laughs>
That was uh, Texas Bob, uh, and he should be on the line now. Bob, you there? Hello, Alan. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Radio Land in London and the UK and all over the world. Yeah, it's man. A, to be here on radio with uh, my dear friend Alan McGee and the big boss man, and we have Gary as well. <laughs> so, so Bob, listen, people, you know, I I know all about you from Libertines, television personalities, MGMT. But do you want to run people through, you know, who you are and what your journey's been? It all started, I guess, like when I was a, a kid in uh, San Antonio, Texas, you know, just like uh, watching PBS and kind of being enriched by all the British and the European culture yeah. as a little wee lad, you know, and then it's like watching like Rising Damp and some mothers do have them and all of this and watching Top of the Pops in Texas and, and then seeing Bowie, you know, seeing Starman, yeah. Sweet, doing Blockbuster and Ballroom Blitz. And, you know, but I'm a lot older than you. So how did you, because that, you know, that was my experience, but I'm 60, you're a lot younger than me. How did you encounter the Bowie thing. That was, uh, I was very lucky because there was like a public broadcasting system like in Texas that they would uh, bring over like a lot of these British programs like the Goonies right. and Monty Python yeah. and a lot of this stuff. And they brought like, I would see Top of the Pops performances. So you, know, you so. were seeing it five, six, seven, seven years after the programs came out then? I guess it was like maybe about, yeah, you're right. Yeah, like around maybe three or four, three years later, yeah, you know, right. seeing X and all that and seeing you know, the Floyd, you know, Sid Barrett and kind of by then, you know, listening to that, it was just, it was like, a, for me, it was like a clarion call to me. Oh, it yeah. just like was, you know, saying, looking at that, I said, God, I'm going to be, I'm going to fly over to London when I'm old enough to go <laughs> up there and just rock and roll with all of them. And now it's been eight years old, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, crazy, crazy. And, uh, you, 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 did you start? Did, I know, I know this because you know, I know you. You're one of my pals, but you get pretty affected by the punk thing, didn't you? I really was affected by the punk thing, and I have my uncles to thank for that because you know, as a kid listening to like you, were, you were like eight at the time, though, weren't you? You were a wee boy. I guess I was yeah, about like nine, ten years old. Yeah. Like all my older uncles, like they would take. I would get really excited because they say, "Hey, Bob, do you wanna?" you know, come for a, come for a ride, like to the shop. So I would get really excited, get in the back seat, and they would play the damned and they would, they would play the sex pistols and they yeah. would play. Yeah. So, I mean, all of this, I was I really kind of, I had like a very lucky kind of uh, education of like punk, post-punk and goth, you know, all of this, you know, so yeah, I was very, very, very lucky. And all, not only that, but also with like classic rock, hard rock, like Proco, early Proco harem and, yeah. you know, all, you know, Led Zeppelin and all this, you know, how, how, and what happened, Bob? Did you just suddenly? Because you, you're a great, great musician. But how did that? How did, did somebody buy you a guitar, or did you just get hold of one by hook up a crook? My mom, uh, uh, my mom, uh, bless her, love you, mom. You know, she bought me my first guitar. It was like an a battered acoustic guitar, like in some like uh, yeah. charity shop, you know, in Texas. And from that, I just like, kind of like was just like little things, little notes. And uh, then my mom bought me a little music book. So when I started like learning kind of like like what chording is yeah. and everything else. And then my, my Nana, she had a little upright piano in her house. Yeah. So I like listen to music, you know, and kind of like up little melodies like from the Beatles and, you know, like the Sweet and Bowie and Sid Barrett and the Floyd and this Proko Harum just picking it all up. 
and then just kind of learning about uh, kind of chord composition, learning even theory, but this is all self-taught. So just like over the years, it's like learning, learning about the kind of composition and theory and everything. So, yeah. Do you know, do you know one of the, the things that a, I don't know if we'll this, this will actually be that interesting to it is you'll get it, Bob. I was always used to people, my musicians who were utterly self-taught, had zero musical education, but just could do it. Like Andrew Innes was the, the classic creation artist, the guy for the Primal Scream that writes the songs, right? And, uh, and, but he was not, he had a great subliminal instinct of understanding the music, but it yes. wasn't educated. And then I met the Libertines, who were utter delinquents, right? <laughs> Except <laughs> they are a bit, you're a bit music theory. They, they they understand that stuff. And I was like, that's unusual. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, when it comes to kind of theory, you kind of learn about like the heart and the emotion of, of music and how music can touch us. When we listen to that chord that rings out, yeah. that gives you goosebumps in that moment and those kind of capturing those memories in your life. But I saw and Pete and Carol once, you know, when I was like, you know, managing them. And, uh, and you know, it was like, Oh, if you play that chord, I'll play the suspended whatever. No, that yeah. I'm, I know that I'm not that good a guitar player. I don't mean it like that. It's just I could vaguely understand what they were trying to do, and, and, and that'll harmonise the chord and what. And I was thinking, it, it, people only know the Libertines as these delinquents, and actually, there's this whole other side to them that's actually quite thought out about the actual chords and the music. You're absolutely right. Like I've been around Peter, and he's you know just kind of like when he, he's like kind of written kind of ideas and he knows his charts yeah. he knows about diminished chords he knows about augmented chords he knows about kind of like kind of uh relative chording you know d b minor c a yeah. minor and knowing about that and the heartbreak chord like f minor you know what i mean the you know the music that like the chords that touch your heart yeah and there's bridging chords which are the diminished and augmented telling a story yeah and that's that's what i learned as a kid like from like listening to all the music you know also russian classical music as well as yeah. li listening to that and learning about like those heartbreaking melodies and those the notes yeah hence why kind of connection with dan tracy well we'll get on to dan because that's a, a really big mutual friend of me and yours but um so I knew, and I, I, I didn't know this, but you'd come to England and you went down to see Andy Partridge. How did that happen? Well, the the thing is, is like I um, I I know I know his family because I know his, I know his daughter Holly and I know his ex Maureen and you know and uh, Harry. So they're all kind of really dear friends. Yeah. But like with Andy, I mean. God, as a kid, like XTC, XTCR energy. So all, <laughs> all the XTC fans, you'll know what that means. <laughs> yeah, but like with XTC, yeah, I mean, Andy Partridge, wow, like what a what a genius writer. And that's another thing, listening to him, like those bridging chords, those diminished, yeah. augmented chords. Oh, he's incredible. Don't, he's incredible. Yeah. So going, going to Swindon to go... Uh, see Andy, hoping to hoping to find him, but no, but no, but same thing with like. You know, Did with you Sid not Bar go to a fan club gig, and that's how you you really got to know him? Well, we actually performed. Me and Mike Stone from TVPs. Yeah, we, we played a convention. We played a convention for for the XTC fans all over the world. Everybody came from Japan, from Norway, from the United States, yeah. from Brazil, from Spain, everywhere. 
France, yeah, and it, it was beautiful. And the thing is, we supported. We were, we were M Martin Newell's backing band. Yeah, we his songs from Cleaners from Venus. Yeah, Martin Newell. So yeah, and that's how we connected with like Partridge and family and all that. So as I well as the he, I don't think he ever understood me because I I tried to sign Andy. At the height of Oasis, Bob. Yeah, early '95, right? And I mm -hmm. went down to see him, and the OCD was monumental that day because every door I would go to open his door he took me to his house and I would mm -hmm. open the door and he started cleaning the door handle and I just thought right mm -hmm. you're definitely OCD plus do you know what I mean and yeah. uh, and I, and then we went away for that meeting and he thought that I was like the new Richard Branson or something like that which I'm obviously not right mm -hmm. and he was saying to me uh, he sent me a letter after it, and he said, uh, Andy Partridge, and he went, I'll sign to you, but I want a quarter of a million, I'm not putting singles out, uh, and you've got no say in my music. And I'm like, dude, if I'm giving you a quarter of a million pounds, I've got a fucking say in your music, do you know what I mean? And I kind of, we didn't really get it on after that. And then afterwards, he, he, was in a, he, he wrote a book, Bob, and he was going, oh, that Alan McGee. You know, and you're like, I'm just a business guy, man. I just love music, but I'm also a, a good at business. It's like, of course, if I'm going to give you a quarter of a million, you know, I, at that point, we could have done that because Christian had got, kind of got rich at that point. But uh, I want I want to say and what what we're putting out. And yeah, you're doing fucking singles, mate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. And I think around that time, it was like, because they were on strike from Virgin. Yeah. After 1992, after like uh, Non Such, which was released. Yeah. Then they were. They went strike, and then they didn't release anything until 1999, yeah. and 2000, which was Apple Venus Volume One and yeah. Wasp, Wasp Star. Well, that, that was right, Bob. But I, I was see, I had spent most of my rehab, which was at the in '94, right? Mm -hmm. I, I spent listening to Drums and Wires XTC, so I Genius. really wanted to sign them, and I, I was coming. I think we couldn't really understand that I was a fan. Ultimately, you know what I mean? Definitely, definitely. And and uh, and and. I think he thought, oh, this guy's going to change my band. But I was like, no, I'm just going to try and make you big and make sure I get a quarter of a million back and, and put out a great XTC record. That's the way I saw it, Bob, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think also with him, I think there's probably that fear of like, oh, I'm probably going to have to play live and yeah. because he has the stage fright, doesn't he? He's kind of... Uh, well, do you know this... the real story of how he ended up cracking up and never playing again was he was addicted to Valium, wasn't he? Do you know that story? Mm -hmm. He's addicted mm. to Valium, and then his misses, but nineteen eighty or eighty one, went. These are not good for you. And, and he was in a and middle of an American tour, and she threw the Valiums down the toilet, and uh, and 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 of course he, you know, coming withdrawal for Valiums really serious, and he, I think he had a I think he had a breakdown. Do you know what I mean? You know, they had, um, to they had to cancel the shows. Yeah, yeah, and that was in America. I think he flew back. Cling, yeah, was that was cl clinging onto the chair. You know. Yeah, yeah, and he was saying that, like, and I think it was 1980, he played a show, at, I think it was La Palais or something in Paris. Yeah. And they started with Respectable Street. Yeah. And he basically was just playing, and he basically just, like, just sang the first two lines, and then he just kind of froze, and then he just put his guitar down, and he, and he, ran, and he just basically ran off. Yeah, yeah. And I, mean... he, I think what, what was said with, like, somebody gobbed at him, and it landed in his, you know... Mouth or something, oh, or yeah, yeah. So they just freaked him out. You know what I mean? That's just were. the way it is, though, isn't it? In that punk thing, because people thought it was cool to spit at the bands. You know, 
Oh yeah, yeah. So, the, so, the, so taking it back to your journey, Bob. So you get through the punk thing and you get into post-punk bands. What do you do next? Well, uh, from Texas, I decide like to, you know, uh, basically just play. I mean, I, I kind of joined my first band when I'm 18. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And just playing shows around. You know, I was driving then. I was driving around. I had a car, <laughs> I, and I'd lug the and I'd lug the Fender in the back of my car and then pick up the rest of the musicians amps just being excited just to be in a band yeah it's amazing and well, you know at that point when you're young and you're doing yeah. what you want to do and you and when you're young and you're in a band and you believe it it's just it's like oh my god you know what i mean like this is just like the sex pistols or the beatles you know what i mean exactly exactly and i didn't care that they're saying oh bob you're gonna have to face and i said i don't mind it i love paul paul paul's my hero you know <laughs> McCartney, so it's like I'm happy to play bass. No problem. I'll create around the basses. Let me know what you want, and just playing some great punk shows in San Antonio. But you know, after a while, you know, about a year or two, thinking, uh, need to go to Austin, Texas, where 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 things happen. So I went to Austin, Texas, and I just do open mics here, open mic there, and then it was like a chance meeting in Austin, playing the uh, the Cactus Cafe one night. You know. Like it was the end of my set. There was like three people there. And then I was going to end my set. And then I said, thank you, everybody. And then, you know, for having me, then, then somebody in the back says, no, 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 keep playing, keep playing. What are you having to drink? I'll get you whatever you want. <laughs> and he said, I said, barman, any, anything this man wants. And I asked, you know, okay, yeah, can I have, you know, vodka and pineapple juice? So then the lovely barmaid brought it over to me. And then I played a couple more songs. I said thank you to the gentleman, whoever it was, had all these, you know, glasses of of, of like uh, drinks there. And then he came up to me, and goes, "Man, I love your music. Whatever you do, whatever anybody tells you, don't give up. You got something special." And you know who that was? That was Towns Van Zandt. Amazing. Yeah, fucking amazing. Yeah. Fair play. From 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 him, it just basically it 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 uh, it, it bolstered my confidence and said, yeah. "Oh wow." Hey, so maybe I can go somewhere else. Maybe I can go to LA. Maybe I can go here. Was was he was he drinking a lot when you met him, or was he was he was yeah. it, was, was, yeah. it, was he was he a, was he a pisshead? I'm not being rude about him. But I like Towns Van Zandt. But but I, I, actually that night I was wearing like a long sleeve gold lame shirt. Yeah. And he put my shirt and I took my shirt off <laughs> and I gave it. Says, hey, look, if it fits you, it's yours because what you said to me really means a lot. Yeah, yeah. And he gone, but it was too tight. <laughs> 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 But he, but he was he was a sweetheart, and something like that really kind of you know well, inspired. People, people loved Towns Van Zandt. Do you know what I mean? You know, that's a fan. Did you ever meet Bob? If you were down in San Antonio in Texas, did you ever meet Rocky Rocky Erickson? I met Rocky Erickson, but not in San Antonio. I met him thanks to you, Alan, because did remember we, we played the Austin Psych Fest. Was he there? And, yeah, it was the fiftieth anniversary of the. Uh, All right. I think I did. I get you on the bill for that. You sure did because we played the show at District for Jane Casey and for Eric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You should play Austin Psych Fest. So you and you know because uh, you're digging the show, and yeah. so from there, you know, thank you for getting me on the bill, Alan. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember now something like that happened, didn't it? Because I did. I have the Mary Chain on or something like that. That's right. It was the Mary Chain, and you know, a lot of a lot of brilliant bands. You know. Yeah. 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 Fat Whites played as well. Is Sean Lennon there with Ghost? Well, I was Sean there. Yeah, yeah, was hanging out with Sean and Charlotte, yeah. and it was yeah. great. 
So you, you, you're at that point and you're in bands. When do you come to England, Bob? Uh, I, was, I was in this, this apartment complex in Austin, Texas. I had a kind landlord, Captain Don. He knew I loved British music. <laughs> and he knocked on my door and he says, Bob, there was a British girl that lived downstairs. And she had all these magazines. Was gonna throw them, she was just going to throw them away. So I thought, you like music, I'll give them to you. And there it was. And I, in 1995, I saw, you know, the enemy, the melody maker, the face. <laughs> all and I says, oh, wow, this is what's going on. It's like the fourth summer of love or something. So I've got to get get to England. So, yeah, so I bought myself a ticket. And I, not knowing a soul, and I just flew to, flew to London June 1996, man. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And uh, how long did it take you to get you know get an anchor in london bob was it immediate or did it take a few years it took a few years yeah. uh you know, from like 1996 i just like kept playing open mics around all over camden my first port of call was uh was the uh the good mixer yeah and there i befriended like you know you know uh the guy andy ross yeah. you know you know adam adam um Adam Evans, I think uh, the A&R from Food Records. Yeah, yeah. They, they were very kind to bands because they would allow you to, to kind of give them a cassette of your music, and then they'd say, "Oh, it looks interesting artwork. Come over to the come over to the record record label and let have a listen." So we'd sit in their office and they would play your music, and I was like, <laughs> oh, "Wow, this is real!" <laughs> and then I would send my music to Rough Trade and James Endicott. Bless him, he was so kind. Yeah. He was so supportive. Saying, "Hey, this is pretty good. This is, I, I like the ideas. I like the melodies. You got any more stuff?" So I would send them over, and I would speak to them on the phone. I would call Rough Trade. This yeah. is like 1996 to 1999. Yeah, but And then it was like from there, I would I played uh, I played the 12 bar with Andy Lowe and all the rest of those beautiful people on you know on Denmark Street that gave me that nice big opportunity to just kind of play shows and get paid yeah like you would say bob come come from where you are come do it i need you i, I need you to kind of just cover a set for me because <laughs> the artist canceled said no problem so i would take the train down from enfield come down <laughs> and be ready and get re my have my songs ready and do a nice set for the audience and he would pay me like you know 30 quid and you know and my expenses and a couple of drinks brilliant Brilliant. And I was very appreciative of Andy Lowe, bless him, because him and Barnett, they were they were great, man. Okay, and yeah. when did you start showing up in my club? What year was that? Was that immediately, or did it take a couple of years before you started showing up? That was a couple of years because I met I met the Paddingtons outside Cam Camden Palace in two thousand and two, two thousand and three. And had I signed them at that point? Yes, yeah, yeah. he was like, I think they were like they were they were kind of playing gigs with Peter. Yeah. And with like the Libertines, so then we just kind of be became friends, and we I befriended them, and I would go see their shows, and then I befriended the others. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I came to then I came to then I came to your to your club with Danny Watson uh, in two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you used to film Libertines and the others so I, and all these bands. You were always filming everything, Bob. Yes, that's the first time I think I properly ran into you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're probably thinking, who's this? Who's this strange guy? I didn't really know you. I just, but you were always really sweet. But I'm just like, oh, thanks, and, Alan. And, and I didn't really know you were like out there, really proper musician. I just, you were just the guy with the camera when I first met you. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, and it was just kind of wanting to capture the, just wanted to capture like hit mu- music history, like the DIY, the grassroots, yeah, you know, community, the, this beautiful community that I saw before my very eye at the Rhythm Factory. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm- and I mean the Death Disco, all of this, and then just kind of like before I would film, I would always ask all the band, "You mind if I film? I will make you a copy. I just wanted to just capture this. I'm thinking of it like Da Pennebaker, kind of like with." Yeah the back like with the bob dylan documentary or eat the document or something so i would always ask the musicians and ask them and i think i, I even asked danny if it's okay to film you know what i mean because i you know, being respectful respectful to the people there you know what i mean yeah so he always said yeah no problem so so yeah so did the gorilla gigs with the others at yeah. like uh what was it like uh great portland street the bbc when they set up Outside with Dominic Masters and John Peel came down with Zane Lowe saying, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> Where was that, Bob? At the Rhythm Factory? No, that was actually at, uh, in the foyer of the BBC Great Portland Street. Mad. Mad. Yeah, and Peel came down. I had a chat with John Peel saying, what's going on here? I thought, the others are playing? It's like guerrilla gigging. Dominic yeah. was an interesting guy, though, because um, he's, he's probably happily married now, but when I first Dominic, Dominic before, Dominic, uh, Dominic, uh, What's his second name? What's Dominic's second name, Bob? Well, Dominic from the others, he's a singer, right? He was a little geezer, wasn't he, Bob? You know, he was a normal little Man City geezer. Yeah. Except he went out with a transvestite. And I don't even think he was particularly left to centre. It was just that he happened to be going out with a transvestite. And uh, it it was like, it was, I can, there there was a few. The guy that he was with, you, you shut your eyes and if he walked past you, you thought it was a good-looking woman. Johan, do you remember? I remember Johan, yeah. Actually, Do- Do- uh, Dominic in the other wrote a song about Johan. Yeah, Johan. yeah. And, and that was a... That was Dominic. He, he was quite an interesting guy because he'd sit... He'd come and meet me in Gillespie and it'd be like a little geezer. Bob never mm-hmm. knew that he was going out with like, a, a, you know, a transvestite. And then... You know, and then suddenly it'd be like, oh, you know, Johan can't have kids because, you know, he's not had the operation yet. And you could see Gillespie's face going, what? You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) What did he say? Because it wasn't, like, it wasn't, it wasn't camp. He was a little all right, geezer. He was one of them, wasn't he? That's right. Work for the city, right? Yeah. He always had a scam, a money scam that he was up to, wasn't he? You know, that was Dominic. Yeah, and he big fan of the fall, big fan of like Marky Smith and the fall, and, yeah. and like all those boys and the others, you know, they were all sweethearts to me. And and I thank good you, guys, I man. I agree, really good guys, good good yeah. band actually. I mean, that's yeah, it. and special needs as well. Zachary uh, Stevenson. Well, I signed all these bands at one point. You know, I mean, I had a deal with Pop Tones with a major after a, you know, after the initial rush yet. And I'd was managing Libertines, I'd broke Libertines and Lucien Green said, We want to give you a label deal, McGee. And then then Phonogram went, You can sign five bands. So I signed the Boxer Rebellion, who kinda of happened actually. They, they they did kinda of well. You know, yeah. not not in England, but everywhere else did pretty well. I think they're still around, still putting records out. Um The others, the Paddingtons, Special Needs, and the Unstrung. You know what I mean, the unstrung Ben Bailey, yeah, yeah, and uh, and then and then of course they changed the managing director, Bob, and then the uh, the end it said, oh, you've got to drop two of your bands, you can choose. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. and, and that killed a lot of bands, you know, they, because 
when you when you let somebody make an album and then nobody puts it out, it breaks the spirit of the band. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, and uh, remember, you, you put the Paddingtons in Parkgate Studios because I was there right. filming well with Owen Morris. Yeah, when he <laughs> producing their album, he was a yeah. maniac. You know what I mean? You know, I've got a million. You own more. I mean. Obviously, I met him through the Oasis thing, and he was he was produced the first three Oasis albums, and uh, we know, and he he you know he was great. And then he he done a record. He, I put him in the studio with Kate, my wife, and then he banned me from the studio. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah, you know because because he wasn't having the record company, and I went, but I'm not just the record company. I'm actually her husband. And he was like, no, you're banned. And then he didn't actually do that good a job on the record, which, of course, encouraged me to berate him pretty bad. But I had a really good relationship with him because of the Oasis thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then when it came up about Paddington's, uh, they wanted to use him. I was like, you know, and I think he gave Marv a nervous breakdown, didn't he? Uh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean that, that's just Owen. That is Owen. What can you do? Owen's more mental than anybody in a band, you know what I mean, by quite a long way. Well, he has this kind of history as well because he, I think he uncovered some lost Sid Barrett recordings because he worked at Owen. Some Cambridge or something. Owen? Yeah, really? Owen. I've, ne- I've never heard that he one. He worked at some studio in Cambridge yeah. and they uncovered like some some like kind of like lost reel-to-reels and it was like it was like Sid Barrett either with stars or just Sid Barrett kind of like uh, just uh, some recordings. Yeah. That, God, and, um, I never heard that. Yeah, anyway, yeah. so running through your story, dude. Um, so you you were around you were at Rhythm Factory. You were all you were all you were, you filmed. What did you do with all the Libertines footage that you had? Have you ever used it? No, I mean I, I did. There was some of it I used for, for 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 Peter's documentary for the BBC, and yeah. So you know, yeah, so yeah, so uh, there's a couple of things that I've used, and you yeah. know, whatever they needed, no problem. So yeah, yeah. yeah. But then and, after that, that's when I kind of you know. Uh, Met Dan Tracy, but tell that people that story because that story is incredible. Dan Tracy, GHQ Massive is the—he's one of the greats, and I, and, I, and, I'm, and I ain't even—I ain't even bullshitting on any level with that. He's one of the—he's he's a punk icon, t- television personalities, but he, but one of the great writers. He's like the punk Ray Davis, isn't he? Do you know what I mean? That's right. With, he's with a genius, a genius writer. But tell, tell how did you meet him, Bob? What year is this? Two thousand and seven. Six. No, two thousand and six. Yeah, yeah. You know, Sid, Sid. After Sid's passing, you know, it just kind of there was like a uh, a tribute to Sid in a. I think it was at the social, and I met and I met I met Dan that night. We were singing Sid Barrett songs together. And tell the story, and, Bob, because it's such a great. It says everything about you as a human being. It's beautiful. T- tell the story, proper story. Well, well, like um, I was just like there, kind of paying homage to Sid Barrett, and then I ran into Dan. And says, "Oh, hey, you, you." You're, you're you're Dan Tracy, so it's like yeah. It's like oh, you wrote I know where Barrett lives as well, as well as other great songs. Like, yeah, and we started having a chat, and we're having a couple of drinks, and kind of like just watching some of these bands, and it was really nice. And we kind of like uh, then after the show finished, we just kind of say, oh yeah, well I'm gonna head home. It's like yeah, I'm gonna go home too. It's like oh, well, I'll walk with you. Oh, which way are you going? Are you taking the tube? And he says like no, no, um, I don't have a home. I'm gonna be sleeping under this bridge. He goes what? He goes, you're on the streets. It's like, yeah, it's like, wow, man, you, you know, you can't have that. You know what I mean? So we just kind of had this connection with him. You know what I mean? If, if that, yeah. this affinity, and I just kind of felt, 
you know, in my heart, like, you know, got to help this guy. So I called my missus, um, very, very kind missus, ex-missus. And I says, like, do you mind if I br- bring a friend over? He needs a place to stay. You know, he's like, he's just kind of stuck. And, um, and she said, yeah, yes. And so, you know, we kind of, uh, we brought Dan back to the family home. And, you know, my kids were very kind to him. And he was very kind to my kids. And we fed him and we gave him a place to stay. And it was like about two or three weeks in. Then he basically says, Bob, if you can get in contact with my record label. It's like, I believe I'm getting royalties. Could you let them know that I'm on the streets and if they can send money to me, so then I can move into a place, you know, and then it was around that time. We're kind of like, you know, just sitting around and they basically just thanked me saying, look, man, if I wouldn't have found you, I would have just jumped off that bridge. I was ready to just end it that night. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's what he told me. So, yeah. And how so, did, how did it come about that you kind of got the band together for him? What, how, why did that happen? That was around like around July, like late July, 2006. Yeah. And, uh, you know, cause I, you know, he was asking if I knew like a keyboardist cause we were been doing some jamming, you know what I mean? Around, yeah. around the house, you know, my missus would go shopping and hanging with her parents. And then we have, he were just sitting around for a couple of hours and we'd start kind of like jamming out on ideas and songs. And, and I, I, he basically said, do you know any other musicians? He goes, yeah, I have a keyboardist and a bassist. He's a great musician. His name's Mike Stone. So I called Mike saying, hey, man, you want to come over and do some jamming with this guy? He's like playing some really good songs and let's do something. So he came over. We had a nice jam and we kind of just started, you know, kind of like working on working on music, working on ideas. And we all pulled so well. It was very interesting and very strange. We had three Geminis. (laughs) Three Geminis. (laughs) So how many records did you and Dan do do before he, unfortunately, he got very ill and he's now in the care home. But... uh, you know, we but did a, was it two or three albums, Bob? Yeah, we did a couple of EPs, mm-hmm. you know, singles. We had singles with uh with Ed with Edward Edward Ball. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. We were with Edward Ball. We worked in the studio in Soup Studios with Edward. You know, and uh, we played the last show with Edward Ball, which was a, a Sid Barrett tribute at the Union Chapel with the Mystery Jets and the original Nirvana. God. And yeah, um, what yeah. What year was that that Ed done that? Two thousand and six. I think it was September. Yeah. 2006 and, and this, this is this is my theory as amazing as dan is his best works he's ever done is we had it's not it's not it's not with joe or it's not with muscar or, or joe the great dan stuff is is we had ball do you know what i mean because because yeah. ed's great himself and you you can somehow i think because they had that childhood experience of growing up punk and the beatles and blah 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 and they, they just get each other musically, don't they? Or they did. They, I mean, Dan's, Dan's not in the game at all now, you know? Yeah, because they both were in, what, O-Level and Teen 78 and yeah. Teenage Boom Stars, and they kind of branched out with different bands, and they would collaborate and help each other out and, work, you know, work on each other's songs. And it was, that's beautiful, man, you know? Yeah. And with me and Edward, we were always talking, to, we were talking about the Beatles and how much we love Paul and all of this. And, and it, was, it was some great backstage footage of, like, of Edward playing piano, like, you know, we're just kind of playing music and the mystery jets are there and we're singing Beatles songs and oh, it was man. brilliant. Man. He's genius. Yeah. Edward Ball is genius and an absolute sweetheart. Bless him. Brilliant. Now, I'm in contact with him quite a lot again and uh, because Great. of this film and, and he's, he's, he's in good form again, you know, I, I, he's portrayed brilliantly in that movie. Have I shown, well, you've seen the movie, Bob, you've seen, well, you've seen an early version of it. I'd, I'd you down the, in Soho when they were showing it. 
That's right. That thanks for that, Alan. It was me and Mike, and we were yeah. like, you know, sitting down on the floor and just watching it, and they seeing <laughs> West Hollywood and say, "Oh, wait a minute." <laughs> it's amazing. That's amazing. Okay, yeah. moving up because this is quite a, a, a small podcast. It's, it's quite a short, small, uh, small podcast. But um, so you, you, Dan, went into the care home, and you basically, I suppose, that shoved you into making solo records, didn't it? Yeah, because uh, it was around 2010 where I was just thinking, you know, I love recording with TVPs, but I'd like to just do something that's kind of where I can start creating, working on ideas yeah. that I have in my head, in my mind, that probably don't fit with television personalities. So it was me playing with MGMT, joining them on their uh, Nordic tour, yeah, you yeah. know, in Denmark, in Sweden, in Norway, playing with them on the bigger stages, giving me that opportunity to play that beautiful electric 12 string yeah. James, James and I'm playing in front of the audience and then kind of right there, boom, that's where you kind of in the kind of kind of came up with my idea, my project of what I wanted to create and yeah. what direction I want to go. And so here we are five albums later. Okay, uh, and, and what do you go out under Bob? Is it Robert Stockholm or Texas Bob? We are going under Texas. What is is sparkle stars? Yeah. Yeah. Which is my little loving tribute to Bowie because Bowie released a, a very beautiful uh, masterpiece toward the end of his life. We wrote Black Star. I wanted yeah. to create something that was kind of a more shimmering, kind of as, as a tribute to him, something positive because it was heartbreaking, beautiful, heartbreaking album, uh, Black, Black Star. So I, I wanted to. To put Bob in context, I'll, I, when I used to promote, I, I bought a church, it's a long story. And I used to put shows on in Wales. And literally, when I say in the middle of nowhere, it was in the middle of nowhere, right? And Bob would just go, Alan, can I play next Friday? Where are you? I'm in New York. All right, yeah, cool, Bob. Thinking he'll never show up. And you show up in the middle of Wales to play my chapel. It's kind of mad. Yeah, for, for, of course, for you and Kate, <laughs> you bet. With, with, with love, of course, always. You know, <laughs> always, always, yeah. But yeah. So yeah, so I'm going to be releasing this this album. It's it's called Alice in the Magic Theater. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So it's and also we have album six, which yeah. we have in the wings for early next year. So we're during this whole lockdown thing, we've been kind of recording me and the rock producer, rock bassist John Griffin. When you were on Burger <laughs> Records, but they ended up closing down, didn't they? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, what what we yeah. supposed sexual impropriety, but you never yeah. saw that with these guys, did you, Bob? No, but the thing is, when I was there, they were they were good as gold. Him and his missus, they were all there. We were just like I didn't see anything back there, but other than that, it's just they were good to me, and boy, they were good to me, and I didn't see anything. But it's just like, but I'm a good boy, and Alan, you know, I'm a good boy, <laughs> and you are, you're cool, you're totally cool, Bob. <laughs> All right, Bob, yeah. Bob, so you've got the new record coming out. Uh, that's going to be on streaming services in a, when, a, about a month's time. Yeah, about a month's time. And I have an announcement to make, Alan. Yeah. Okay, so basically you're going to put on the show in Iceland. It's a weekend. It starts uh, December Friday, December 11th to Sunday, December 13th. Yeah. yeah, it's Liverpool Psychedelic Society and Creation Dream Machine. Present Psychedelic Fantastic. Weekend, December 20th in Helsingør, Iceland. I might, I might come to that, Bob. Because I mean I haven't been anywhere this year, but 
Well, no, I haven't been anywhere for about seven months, so Iceland seems... Have they got lockdown there, or can you just fly in and fly out? You can fly in. You can fly in there and fly out, yeah. I might come. Yeah, please do, Alan. It's going to be monumental, because we're going to do a tribute to John Lennon 40 years on. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. But, uh, that's going to be Texas Bob Juarez and Sparkle Stars. We're going to have the <laughs> Lucifer for me. Bob, Bob, I'm going to I'm going to get on now, man, because I've I've gone up to uh, Clockwork to recording a a a live stream. They're recording it and then they're going to put it out next week. So I'm going on up to show my f- funny little face and say hi to the boys. But uh, we we just do the co- the, the podcast is short. It's only about half an hour. Do you know what I mean? You know. So yeah, no um, problem. No. But listen, thanks so much again. You you always are the last man standing. And uh, I was supposed to have John Power, John Power cancelled, and then I said to Bob at one, can you do it? And Bob, as good as gold, went, McGee, no problem. So I love you for that, man. You're a brother. Okay, <laughs> the last track, uh, GHQ Massive, is the track that you probably know television personalities. There's so much more than this track, but if this is the only track they ever done, it would be enough. And this is television personalities, part-time punk. listening to GHQ Radio presented by Alan McGee with his guest Texas Bob Juarez. 
recorded and mixed by Gary Salter, with additional production from Jason Alde and Brian Anderson. GHQ Radio is recorded for GHQ Magazine. GHQ Radio. Find us at ghqmagazine.com.